Welcome back to another edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm Beth Accomando. I don't think you can love cinema without loving Alfred Hitchcock. The master of suspense defined much of the grammar and syntax of our cinematic language, and his influence is still felt today. As further proof of his lasting legacy, a new documentary called Hitchcock Truffaut opens this weekend at Landmark's Ken Cinema. The film brings to vivid life the famous week-long interview between Alfred Hitchcock and French New Wave director and Cahiers du Cinema critic Francois Truffaut. As a film critic, I see a lot of films, and while most of them aren't bad, a great number are mediocre and bland, and that can wear you down and make you forget why you fell in love with movies in the first place. But there are a few surefire ways to reignite that passion. See a great movie, attend the Turner Classic Movies Film Festival, and watch any of Tony Zhao's Every Frame of Painting YouTube videos. Kent Jones's Hitchcock Truffaut documentary can be added to this list. In 1962, Alfred Hitchcock agreed to be interviewed by Francois Truffaut. The result was a masterclass in filmmaking. A book was published featuring the entire interview, and any serious film buff held that book dear. It served up a discussion between two very different but extremely talented men, and both were fueled by a passion for cinema. Truffaut had obvious respect and affection for Hitchcock, a director almost twice his age at the time of the interview. But what comes through in the interview, especially when you actually hear the voices and are not just reading it, is that Hitchcock takes delight in their conversation and appreciates Truffaut's serious and thoughtful questions. Here, Hitch talks about a famous tight close-up of Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman kissing three times in Notorious. I was giving the public the great privilege of embracing Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman together. It was a kind of uh, temporary menage à trois. And the actors hated doing it. They felt dreadfully uncomfortable in the manner in which they had to cling to each other. And I said, well, uh, I don't care how you feel. I only know what it's going to look like on the screen. Truffaut's questions about Montgomery Clift and I Confess led to Hitchcock's famous line about actors. I had a conflict with Clift. I said, Monty, I want you to look up at the hotel. Uh, so he said to me, I don't know whether I would look up to the hotel. I said, why not? He said, I may be occupied by the people below. I said, I want you to look up to the hotel window. And please do so. Now, I was telling the audience, moi, across the street is the hotel. So an actor is going to try and interfere with me, organizing my geography. That's why all actors are cattle. <laughs> Director Kent Jones poured over photos from the meeting, unearthed archive footage of the two men, and listened to all 27 hours of audio tape to construct his documentary. The resulting film is as entertaining as it is enlightening. Jones also turns to contemporary directors such as David Fincher, Wes Anderson, Paul Schrader, Martin Scorsese, and Kiyoshi Kurosawa for wonderful comments not just about Hitchcock's work, but also about the impact of the Hitchcock Truffaut book on them as filmmakers. The documentary also highlights moments that provide insights into Hitchcock. At one point, Hitchcock discusses his move from England to Hollywood. I wasn't attracted to Hollywood as a place. Je pas attiré à Hollywood comme endroit, en they had no interest. 
What had interest for me was getting inside that studio. Jones's film is for both the longtime fan of Hitchcock as well as a new generation of filmgoers that are growing up with the legacy of Hitchcock rather than with seeing his films as their opening in theaters. And Jones points out the difference. Coming to Psycho already knowing the shower scene and mother is a very different experience from walking into a theater in 1960 and suddenly having all your expectations about the structure of a Hollywood movie brutally shattered. Jones has worked on a number of films looking to our cinematic past. He co-wrote Scorsese's documentary on Italian cinema, My Voyage to Italy, and directed Val Luton, The Man in the Shadows, and Letter to Ilya about Ilya Kazan. He made these films in order to share his passion about film with new audiences, and that's a wonderful gift. Hitchcock Truffaut makes you fall in love with movies all over again because it conveys not just the artistry of a popular director, but also captures a passion for cinema as a way of life. Here's my interview with director Kent Jones, whose experiences reminded me of how I fell in love with movies. First of all, I wanted to ask you, how did you first fall in love with film? When I was about six years old, I started getting very, very captivated by film, and part of it had to do with picture books of film, of the history of film. And there was this book called The Movies, it was co-written by these guys named Richard Griffith and Arthur Mayer, and it was this beautiful pictorial history, and I used to flip through it over and over and over again. This is in the days of pre-video film culture, and Bruce Goldstein, who programs at Film Forum here in New York, and I talk about this a lot, when you would get, if you were a movie fan, objects that were related to movies, these crazy books that were kind of combinations of scripts and frames, uh, frames that were enlarged, you know, you could not capture the movie yourself at that point. That was kind of the doorway. Then I got very into certain actors, particularly Humphrey Bogart, and I really loved and still do his mannerisms, his way of speaking, his gestures, his way of communicating, because really that's my father's generation in many ways. And then I started getting into a TV series that Richard Schickel did called The Men Who Made the Movies in the early 70s, and that really opened the door to what a film director was, just to the fact that there was such a thing as a film director. And that was really my first exposure to Alfred Hitchcock. I have to say that I had that exact same book. (laughs) Mm-hmm. and did the exact same thing with it. And I watched that same yep. series that Richard Shekel did. And all yeah. those, um, uh, I don't remember what the series was, but those books where it was like frame by frame, they redid the entire movie. They were made by a guy named Richard J. Noble. Yes. And he did Casablanca, and he did The Maltese Falcon, and they were The Marx Brothers. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they were really terrible, but, you know, they were things that you had to have if you liked the movie. So when did you decide to go, or how did you decide to move from just this love of cinema to actually making films? I had always wanted to make films, and I had gone to film school briefly in both the film studies section and in the filmmaking section, but that was a little bit odd to me. And I dropped out at a very early age before I graduated and did a bunch of other stuff. And then I started writing about film. I always did write about film, but I started doing it semi-professionally, I guess, at some point in the 80s. And then I started working for Marty Scorsese in his office, actually, in 1991, 
um, as his video archivist. And over the course of time, Marty asked me to start working on his documentary films. And the first one that I worked on was My Voyage to Italy, which I co-wrote, which is his mammoth epic survey of Italian cinema. And then we started doing other things together, and we made a little film together, a couple little films, one that was presented as part of the concert for New York City after 9-11, and one that was made for the History Channel. And then we spent quite a bit of time making this film about um, Ilya Kazan. And at the same time, we opened an editing room to make a film about Val Luton. That was my film. Um, Val Luton was the horror filmmaker in the 40s, um, whose work I loved. I wrote that and directed it. Marty produced it and narrated it. Kazan's film took much longer. That was years in the making. And... uh, I don't know. It was all part of the same process, that's for sure. I've worked on other people's films, fiction films. It just all seemed part of the same um, impulse. Same, it's, 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 you know, the same continuum. So what circumstances led to making Hitchcock Truffaut now? I got a phone call two years ago, almost exactly to the day, from Charles Cohen, who's one of the producers of the film, asking me if I was interested in doing it, and I just immediately said yes. And it's a book that I bought when I was 12 or that was given to me, I don't remember, that meant a lot to me. And when he said that it was a film based on the audio tapes, then I was really interested. Let me check with him and see if he's uh, running yet. Well, you started? You're up. All right. You're running now, huh? Okay, fine. We are now on the air. <laughs> I really was into the challenge of making a film based on audio tapes. And I really loved the relationship between the two of them already in the book. And I had heard 11 and a half hours of the tapes, which are actually available online. They were broadcast on French radio back in the late 90s. And they had been edited by a friend of mine, Nicolas Sada. And so I decided that I was going to do a film that drew from the core of their discussion, which is a discussion of of movie making between two movie makers, not between a critic and a filmmaker. So that was a crucial difference. And it's crucial to Hitchcock. That's what really meant something to him. And it allowed him to speak in a way that he wasn't able to speak to critics, I don't think, or historians. So, yeah, that was about two years ago, and I started thinking it through and decided that I just wanted to make a film with filmmakers and expand the original enterprise. How did you decide on the structure that you wanted to use for the film? How did you want to tell this story? I knew that I wanted to find the emotional valence of the story, and I knew that it was there just in the nature of the enterprise itself. I mean, not every great filmmaker's life or circumstances of life amounts to a great film, um, or promising film material, at least. But in this case, I knew that it did, just because of the nature of these two guys, who they were. And as I said, I had heard 11 and a half hours of the tapes. And then I decided that what I wanted to do was to go through the, the, the 27 hours of all the tapes and 
find where I found the energy was between them. And by that, what I mean is, you know, the emotional energy and also where their discussions of film had the most concision and were most com- the most compact energy as opposed to where it became a long, slightly belabored discussion of the technical practice, you know, for instance, in Rope descriptions of how the film was made are fascinating, but they just it's a very long thing and Hitchcock is getting into it in a way that suggests that he's sort of reciting it. I wanted something that was more compact than that. And also where you can feel an emotional energy between the two of them and also with Helen Scott there too. Her presence is crucial as well. Just in the timber of their voices, you know. The thing you see that I liked and felt most when she came back from having her hair made blonde and it wasn't up. This means she has stripped but won't take her knickers off. You see, she says, all right, and she goes into the bar and he is waiting. He's waiting for the woman to undress and come out. And while he was looking at that door, he was getting an erection. We will now tell a story. Shut the machine off. And then I followed suit with the people that I interviewed. I based my questions on the things that I had identified in the tapes. And then with every successive interview, I was honing in on things that seemed like areas of fascination and refining my questions. So I built it according to where the energy was. In other words, I built it from the middle out. We really started putting the whole thing about dreams together at first. And then the structure kind of built out from the middle. I had that book also, and it was really great. I had never listened to the audio before, and it was nice to hear them interacting. It's a very different experience from the book. When you read the book, you have the impression that Hitchcock is very dry and his uh, words are very curt and the exchanges are very clipped, and it's all about let's talk about this and get it over with and on to the next one. It's very different from the tapes. The tapes are much more open. The tone is very free. He's very funny and spontaneous. And you can sense a little bit of shyness in Truffaut. And then at other points, you can sense Truffaut trying to challenge him and Hitchcock just becoming silent. Est-ce que vous acceptez d'être considéré comme un, uh, comme un artiste catholique? Go off the record. And I thought that was really interesting, and I still do. How did you decide on the directors that you wanted to interview? I wanted people who were going to be able to think through their answers as they spoke and who weren't going to be sitting there and just kind of reciting freeze-dried comments about how great they thought Alfred Hitchcock was. That was very important to me. People who actually enjoyed talking about the craft of filmmaking and who enjoyed talking about Hitchcock and the history of filmmaking and the book and acting and how things had changed and so on. And so that meant that 
really what I was doing was I was going to people whose work I admired, of course, but also people who I knew to a certain degree. And so these are all people who, with whom I have some kind of relationship. You know, in the case of Marty and Olivia Asias and Arnaud Deplachon, they have a very close relationship. Kensher, I know pretty well. James Gray, I know pretty well. You know, these are they're people that, you know, Schrader I've known for years. There was starting to be these kind of erudite conversations about the art form. But, you know, Truffaut was the first one where you really felt that, uh, you know, they were talking about the craft of it. But there are people who I know would respond in a particular way and who were into the idea of participating in such an enterprise. Well, I have to tell you, one of the things that I really enjoyed about the film is, as I was watching it, it, as a film critic, sometimes you go for long spells seeing a lot of, not necessarily bad films, but mediocre films. And watching (laughs) watching your documentary, (laughs) what was so wonderful is it like, it reminded me why I fell in love with movies. It's the same thing like when I go to the Turner Classic Movie Festival. And it was such a great feeling. That's really nice to hear. That's great. And touched. And you go to the Turner Classic Movie Festival. I go to that. Yes, I've been to every. I've been there every year. I've only been uh, twice. Two years in a yeah. row, I went, and it was amazing. Yeah, it's a great thing. I go with my son. Thing that we do every year. Oh, that's and, fabulous! Um, I really love it. Well, that's how I fell in love with movies. Is from my dad. He's the one who mm-hmm. took me, and he would tell me all about movies. And some of the first films I remember seeing are like the original King Kong and the Marx Brothers, and that's how I mm-hmm. fell in love with film. So yeah, my dad was ten years older than my mom, and he had been through World War II, and so I associated older films with him. And then she was really into films by Robert Altman, and you know, I went to see Cabaret with her in Mean Streets. And that was really interesting to have that kind of contrast. Well, with the documentaries you've been doing with the Val Luton one and Ilya Kazan and this one, I mean, do you feel that you're trying to share the cinema history with a broader audience to kind of pass that on the same way that it was passed on to you? Yeah, I am. I mean, I'm trying to share it genuinely. I'm trying to transmit it, I guess. And when I say transmit it, I mean, you know, not just transmit the knowledge, but transmit the excitement in finding what leads to the knowledge. I don't want to just make a movie that is going to communicate to the people who already know it. I want to transmit the excitement that I feel and that presumably a lot of other people feel and that presumably people who haven't experienced it yet could feel from contact with the movies. That's exactly what you're talking about. It's uh, why you go to the Turner Classic Movie Festival, right? Exactly. And what I think's really well done in the film, too, is that you're sharing the craft of filmmaking, but in yeah. a way that's very accessible to, I think, a more mainstream audience, so they don't feel like, you know, it's something beyond my scope that I can't understand. Yeah, yeah that's really important to me. I just feel like it's, A, something that's kind of lacking in film criticism. There's a little bit of a disconnection between the way that films are written about and the way that they're made in the sense that you often get a sense that critic, many critics don't know why a director is making the choices that they're making or, for that matter, what it is that the director actually does in relation to all the other people. 
who are involved in the movie. I think that that's one thing. And then also, I wanted I, I, I wanted to do precisely what you're saying, which is to just communicate the things that are so basic and that are somehow not really talked about that often. They're seen as like, oh, you know, specialty items, and you have to really know about cinema to appreciate it. Well, I mean, you know, you don't really know about cinema until you start somewhere, and these are things that are fundamental to what cinema is. When David Fincher says... If you have some kind of understanding of color and design and light, directing is really three things. Editing behavior over time and then controlling moments that should be really fast and making them slow, and moments that should be really slow and making them fast. That's a very important nugget, and that's really that is really important to me to be, you know, communicating with audiences in, in a way that enriches them. That's what film is for. To either contract time, soit pour contracter le temps, or extend it, whatever you wish, ou l'expandre comme vous le voulez. Oui, oui, ça c'est très intéressant. Well, also, what's nice is the reminder that it took an outsider like Truffaut—I mean, somebody from outside of the United States—to recognize that one of our very popular mainstream directors was also this artist. Yeah. It's it's nice to remember that it's it was somebody, you know, Hitchcock was a mainstream studio director and he was mm -hmm. making all these interesting artistic choices and it took, you know, someone like Truffaut to kind of make us look back at it and say like, hey, you should appreciate this more. Yeah, I think that's the way it always is, you know. You need someone from outside to cast another eye on something and they're going to see something that you're not. That's why the editorial process is so important. You know, working with an editor, they're seeing something that you're not. I could think of many other, you know, examples in many other art forms, but Rachel Reichman edited this film and the co-producer, and, you know, she and I have made many movies together, and we spend our fair share of time arguing, but that's always a great thing because... She's seeing things that I'm not, and we're both working at the service of the movie, you know. And uh, I think that that's... So I think that somebody coming from outside the familiar, outside the known and the regular and the everyday is always a really important thing. That's what the whole enterprise of the politique is a terror, the terror theory of tourism, whatever you want to call it. That's what it really is. The French seeing the flood of American films that went into, you know, uh, France after the occupation was over and giving them back to us, giving giving them to us at another, pitched at another, at another level. It's a beautiful thing. Editing seems especially important in documentary work where it seems like the film can essentially be, is made entirely in the editing of all these different elements you have at your disposal. That's why I... I think you're, you're absolutely right. Editing is fundamentally important, and that's why I didn't want to have, like, a bunch of attention-getting devices that you see in a lot of documentaries, for instance, taking a photograph and breaking up the different planes so that they kind of separate from each other, doing, like, you know, recreated footage that looks, like, artificially distressed with the backs of two heads that might be Hitchcock and Truffaut and with, a, with, a, with a woman with curly hair from behind, played by, you know, signifying Helen Scott. 
I didn't want to do any of that stuff or have any animation. I wanted it to all be about the binding of images and the tension between the images and the words and the, the spoken word and the words on the page so that you're, they're kind of held in a state of animation and they're pinging around and referring back to each other and you're coming out having had an experience as opposed to a, uh, you know, some kind of an audio-visual primer. Well, you certainly don't miss any of those elements because they're so compelling. The, the content of what you have was so compelling. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I think that those elements are, are perfectly fine in and of themselves. They're just elements. They're neutral, you know, animation and stuff like that. But they're too often they're used for the wrong reasons. They're employed because the filmmaker is anxious about boring the audience. That's never a good reason, you know. Yeah, exactly. Now that the film's done, what do you feel most proud of about it? Well, what I feel proud of about it is precisely what we were just talking about. I like the way that it works as a movie. I like the rhythm of it, and I like the, I like the, you know, I, I was going for an emotional through line, and I, I, I like that because it's there in the material, you know, the nature of the enterprise, of the exchange between the two of them, I find very moving. And I think that that's there, and then at the same time, it is about the excitement of filmmaking. I hope I got there. You did. My main satisfaction is that film did something to an audience. I really mean that. In many ways, I feel my satisfaction with our art achieved something of mass emotion. It wasn't a message. It wasn't some great performance. It wasn't a highly appreciated novel that served an audience. It was pure film. Do you have a, another project lined up? Is there another filmmaker or actor or something about filmmaking that you want to explore? I'm working on a couple things, but not a filmmaker at the moment. Something else. I can't really talk about it. Something fiction. And then there is a a documentary idea, but I'm still thinking it's true. I don't know if you're familiar with a, a YouTube channel called Every Frame a Painting. No. That Tony Zhao does. Because every time he does these little videos about filmmaking where he, I believe he's an editor, and mm -hmm. he looks to, to different things in movies, like it'll be how does Jackie Chan do action or something mm -hmm. silly like how do chairs appear in movies. But watching those little videos, it has the same effect that your film have, which is basically I keep, like I watch these things and then I just remember how exciting film is after, you know, sometimes seeing too many bad films in a row. So you might mm. want to check his, his videos out. Yeah, I will. I'm going to have to look at that. All right. Well, I want to thank you very much for your time and thank you very much for the film. It was fabulous. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks. And maybe I'll see you at Turner Classic Movie Festival. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm there with my son. I'll be there. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yes, how, how do you want to handle this? Well, I'm the cameraman, you are the director, and you are directing a double portrait of a Mr. Hitchcock and of a Mr. Truffaut. Whatever you want, any idea that comes... Well, really, it's my directing Mr. Truffaut, isn't it? Yes, but you direct also yourself. Ah, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go watch you. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm more than Hitchcock. You look less worried than Hitchcock. Now, here we are, look, here's the angle. I'm going to be like this, you see. Now, Mr. Truffaut should half turn around and look back to me. 
Regardez à moi. Like this, you see this? We better not have cigars, all right. Otherwise, it, may, it might make us look like movie directors. And God forbid we ever look like that. That was another scene from Kent Jones's new documentary, Hitchcock Truffaut, which opens this weekend at Landmark's Ken Cinema. Thanks for listening to another edition of the KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review. So until our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie.